Hello and welcome to another episode of Ascend, the official podcast of Ascend College Ministry at Our Lady of Good Counsel Catholic Church in Plymouth, Michigan. I'm your host, Carl Finkbeiner. The following talk was recorded at the Ascend College Night on Tuesday, June 2nd. In this episode, we dive into the Genesis creation stories to explore the truths that God reveals to us about who he is and why he created us. The name of tonight's talk is Who Do You Say That I Am? based on the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This gospel passage highlights the clear parallel between our understanding of who Jesus is and our understanding of who we are as sons and daughters made in his image. You'll notice that when Simon correctly identifies that Jesus is the son of the living God, in other words, he comes to a deeper understanding of who God is, immediately Jesus fills him with insight about who he is. He first proclaims his identity. He says, you are Peter. I say to you, you are Peter. He gives him a new name. He gives him his true name, which means rock. Secondly, he gives him his mission. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. In other words, he's giving Peter his mission as the leader of the disciples and the leader of the church, which Jesus will establish moving forward. And finally, he gives him divine authority with which to carry out this mission. He says, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So when Peter, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, it's not his own seeking that leads him to a deeper revelation of who God is, but it's through the Holy Spirit's revelation that when he comes to recognize Jesus as the true living God, he then also comes to an understanding of his identity, his mission, and the authority that he has to carry out the life that the Lord has has willed for him. So I think this gospel really highlights the importance, once again, of reclaiming this biblical worldview, which it may seem on the surface that a biblical worldview is contrary to faith, to science and reason. But in reality, the two are both seeking the same thing, just from different angles. So science is a pursuit of truth. And we believe that God is truth with a capital T. So all seeking that we can do with our human minds should lead us closer to God because it should be revealing more truth. Science asks the questions of what and how, and our faith asks the questions of who and why. And so tonight, we're going to seek to answer those questions. Who is God and why did he create me? And we're going to do so by looking at the creation account in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. So as we journey through this creation story, I want to highlight seven revelations of this story, seven things that the creation story reveals to us about God, 
and about ourselves. So first of all, we serve a big God. Genesis points out that God speaks into an abyss of nothingness and chaos, and he says simply, let there be light, and there was light. By a word, God speaks into nothing, and he creates everything. The heavens and the earth, the sea and the sky, all creation comes forth from a single word, let there be light. And there was. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. By the way, he just tossed in billions of stars, the largest of which are millions of times larger than our massive sun. And that gets credit of half a sentence in the book of Genesis. This is how big our God is. His name, which he reveals to Moses, Yahweh, is Hebrew for I am who am. And in Hebrew, this word has no tense. It doesn't just mean I am now, but it means I have always been. It means I am now in all things, and I will be forever. And so since we serve such a big God, or better put, since we have such a big God who serves us, who created all things for our good, let's approach him with faith and with boldness to ask him to pour upon us the gifts which he has for us. I think so often we just put God in a box and we don't ask for things because we're afraid he might not be able to answer or we're afraid it might look differently than what we want. But God has an incredible plan for each and every one of our lives and he has infinite gifts which he wants to shower upon us and all we need to do is ask and receive. The second thing that the the creation story reveals is that God says we are, quote, very good. He says that I am very good. He says that you are very good. You are very good. You are very good. Each and every one of you individually are very good. God created light and he said it was good. He created the sea and the dry land and he said it was good. He created the plants and the animals and he said it was good. But it wasn't until he created human beings in his likeness and after his very image that he then looked back on all he had created and he said, this is very good. We're the culmination of his creation and all of it exists only for our sake. All the rest of this massive creation, all the stars, all the mountains are a means to an end. And that end is us. The prophet Isaiah writes, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens. I spread out the earth by myself. I have called you by name. You are mine. The God who created all of this was busy forming you before your parents even knew you existed. And he calls you each by name, and he has chosen you, and he says, you are mine, and I love you. The third thing that is revealed by the creation story 
is that we have a purpose. We didn't just get tossed on this earth arbitrarily, but God gave us a specific purpose and mission as a race and also individually. Right from the very beginning of the creation story, we see our offices as priest, prophet, and king beginning to emerge. The Lord God took the man and settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. This passage highlights our priestly identity as human beings, that as rational creatures who are capable of supernatural communication with God, we can sum up all the inarticulate praises of this world and of this universe, that every single thing in the universe is crying out its praises to God just through its very existence. But we, as human beings endowed with the Spirit of God because He breathed His very Spirit into us, we can communicate with God and we can offer up on behalf of all of creation its praises. We are prophets. God says, let us make human beings in our image after our likeness. We each bear the image of the face of God. And so therefore it is our mission, it's our duty to manifest the face of God to the rest of creation. That in each other, we can see the face of God. That's our prophetic role. And then we also see our kingly office. God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that crawl on the earth. He gives us dominion, he gives us a kingdom to protect, to watch over, to care for, and also to expand. He calls us to expand his kingdom. Originally in Genesis, it's through natural means, through family and reproduction and marriage. But each of us endowed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and baptism also have an extra mission to be fertile and multiply spiritually, to bring others into the family of God and to therefore expand his kingdom here on earth in hopes of an eternity in his kingdom with him. Each and every one of us has been given special gifts and an unrepeatable mission. I want to repeat that. Creation would not, be, uh, would not be complete without each and every one of you and your identity, but also the gifts that you have to share to, to participate with God in the work of creation. He allows us to be co-creators because we're made in his image and likeness. And so, as crazy as it sounds, this infinitely powerful God has chosen to give us authority and power to be co-creators. And so he actually needs us. He relies on us to use the gifts that he's given us to build up his world. So I really encourage us to lay hold of our authority that we have in Christ as priest, prophet, and king. And during this time of adoration and, and moving forward, ask the Lord, what is my mission? What gifts has God given me? Because you all have them. And a lot of times we try to sell ourselves short and say, well, that's for someone else. I'm not capable of that. I'm, I'm not worthy. But our mission each looks different, but it's each necessary and unrepeatable and vital to the expansion and the fortification of the kingdom of God. The fourth point is that God desires our happiness. And I want to make a distinction between pleasure and happiness here. Pleasure is passing, it's transitory, and it can often lead to the opposite of happiness. But what God desires for us is a deep, lasting happiness. And he created all these things and he called them good and he created them for us 
and for our enjoyment. And ultimately, our happiness is found in God himself. Pope John Paul II was quoted uh, as saying on World Youth Day, and we have this uh, painted up across from the gym here at Our Lady Good Council Parish. I encourage you to check it out. He says, It is Jesus you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provokes you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he, Jesus, who urges you to shed the mask of a false life. It is he who reads in your hearts your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives. Each and every one of us are called to greatness. The will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be grounded down by mediocrity, and the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, making the world more human and more fraternal. I don't hear any of the truth. <laughs> the fifth point. God gives us boundaries so that we can live in freedom. This might sound really contradictory at first, and in the eyes of society it is. A lot of times we view boundaries and restrictions as the opposite to freedom. But in reality, God gives us boundaries so that we can be free. You notice at the very beginning of creation, the author of Genesis speaks of a desolate wasteland of chaos. And what does God establish in the midst of that chaos? He replaces the chaos with order. And he begins to create. And he says that all that he creates is good. But in order for the good to come into being, he first needed to establish order. And that's what he wants to do with our lives as well. He desires that we are happy, and since he was the one who created us, he knows exactly what will lead us to ultimate happiness. And he also knows what's going to lead us down paths that will lead to sadness and grief and regret and destruction. And so he wants to show us the way to happiness so that we can freely follow it. Because freedom is not simply an absence of rules or the ability to do whatever we want, but freedom is the ability of the will to choose the good. And in order for us to choose the good, we must know the truth. We must know what is truly good so that we can freely choose it. And so that's why he establishes his laws. That's why our church has moral guidelines. It's to protect us from becoming enslaved to our passing passions and keep us on the path to what is going to truly make us happy. And ultimately, the greatest good that we can choose with this freedom is love. And that takes me to the fourth, or to the sixth point now that the creation story reveals is that we are made for relationship. We're made in the image and likeness of God, a God who is love. God exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who exist in a life of love, a unity of love. And out of their love, out of their loving relationship, creation springs forth. Life comes into being. And as beings created in His image and likeness, we have the same mission and the same identity. We're called to love one another, to enter into relationship, and out of those relationships, life comes forth into the world. And obviously marriage is the incredible sacrament that 
gives a physical representation of this, but also just any relationship, any holy relationship that we have brings forth spiritual life to the people engaged in it and also everyone else who, who crosses their paths. As beings made in the image and likeness of God, every single one of us, so not just me and you, but everyone is made in this image regardless of whether they recognize it or not. And that makes every human being a sacrament or a visible manifestation of an in invisible reality, which is God and his love. And that's why Pope John Paul II said that every time we encounter another person, we must approach that encounter with the wonder and awe of being in the presence of something holy. Every time we interact with another human being, that is a sacred encounter that we're entering into. Whether that's we're talking with a priest or someone else in church, or whether it's our family, or whether it's a friend, or whether it's a total stranger that we meet in the grocery store or on the street, or whether it's someone who we're really having a hard time getting along with and who is not treating us with the dignity that we deserve. If we're entering into a relationship or an interaction with another human being, that is always sacred ground, and we must approach it as such. The final point that I want to identify today that the creation story reveals to us is that ultimately we're made for relationship with God. So as sacred and holy as all human relationships are, they will never fulfill us. And ultimately, we are fulfilled in our relationship with God himself. Our destiny as human beings is to share in the divine nature and be welcomed into the very inner life of the Holy Trinity. If that's the case, if that's where we're, what we're striving for, if that's what heaven is, is intimate communion with God, then shouldn't we begin striving for that now? Shouldn't we begin to develop our relationship with God so that when we die, when our time comes, we're not meeting a stranger for the first time or someone who we've placed way down our list of priorities in our life? Our relationship with God should be the number one thing in our lives, and it should enter, it should encompass everything that we do. So no matter what we're doing, we should be doing it for the sake of entering deeper into relationship with God. Protestants a lot of times will talk about this personal relationship with Jesus, which we tend to ignore as Catholics, but I think is incredibly important because God is not just some distant creator, but he is a loving father who wants to enter into a relationship with you uniquely as his son or daughter. And that takes time to, to recognize what his voice sounds like as he speaks these words of love to us. We need to take time in silence to hear those words and to know what the Father's voice sounds like. And in response, we should be continually going to him with our needs and our concerns because remember, we serve a very good God who says that we are very good and who wants to bless us and who wants to love us even more than we want his love. And so how do we develop this personal relationship? Again, it's those supply lines, prayer, scripture, and the sacraments. Spending time with God in prayer, digging into his word, and most especially the sacraments where he becomes physically present. And in Holy Communion, we enter into Holy Communion with God himself. 
We pray, the priest prays before the consecration a silent prayer. He says, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. So then we take, we partake of God in physical form. We also partake of his divinity so that we can begin to be formed here on earth into the divine nature which he has destined for us. So in a moment here, we're going to have an opportunity to encounter the living God in Holy Communion right here on this altar. The God who created all of this is going to come down and be in the midst of his creation so that we can speak to him and so we can adore him. And so during this time, I just invite you to be still and allow him to speak to you in whatever way he wants to tonight. Pour out your needs and your concerns to him in the silence of your hearts because he can hear and allow him to speak his words of love to you. Reflect on what may have spoken out, uh, might have stood out to you from this talk or from the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles with you, it might be a good time to, to flip open to Genesis 1 and 2 and reread those passages that may have stood out. But this time is going to be yours. And God speaks most especially in the silence. So I invite you to really enter into that as we begin this time of adoration. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please email ascend at olgcparish.net with any questions, comments, or feedback. Also, check out our Facebook page, at AscendOLGC, for more content as well as information on our summer events for college students and recent graduates. Our mission at Ascend College Ministry is to help young adults develop an abiding relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and equip them to live a life of discipleship and mission. I hope that this podcast will help you along your journey of faith. God bless.